Begin Podfix Network transmission in three, two, one. This is Bewilderbeasts, an infotainment show dedicated to inspiring curiosity for all ages by investigating the ways animals intersect at humanity. I am not a historian, an ethologist, a researcher, a scientist, a zoologist, a trained audio engineer, or an expert in, well, anything. Y'all, I'm lucky if I can remember to put my clean laundry in the dryer before it gets funky. And while I make every effort to present things as accurately as I can with a fun flair, I'm going to mess up. And that's okay. I hope I've given you a nice place to jump off from on your own adventures into curiosity, or at the very least, I've given you the key to win your next round of trivia. Welcome to Bewilderbeasts. I'm your host, Melissa McHugh-McGrath, and on today's Bewilderbeasts, we're going to talk about a framed cow who ultimately helped get free public libraries in Chicago. And, oh my god, crocodiles are faster than you ever imagined. Ah! Let's go. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Bewilderbeasts. I'm so excited to talk with you guys today about a cow who was essentially framed for burning down the entire city of Chicago in the 1800s. But even though she didn't do it, she still managed to inspire a new way of building cities and even help create public libraries in Chicago. But first... Many animals who live both in water and on land are generally good at mobility in only one of those environments. But let's look at animals like seals. Seals are super awkward on land, right? I mean, it looks painful the way that they hop with their torso and their flippers and they just thud back onto the rocks just to move around. But they're incredibly fast in water. But crocodiles? They can swim really fast, but on land? Uh, They can also move really fast, it turns out. They can gallop like a horse. Before last year, scientists knew of only one crocodile species who could bound or gallop, and it was the Australian crocodile, because Australia. However, when zoologists put cameras in the only place scarier than Australia, crocodile enclosures in a Florida zoo, they noticed that 15 crocodile species that they tested, eight of them could gallop or bound at over 13 miles an hour. That's as fast as a squirrel laid out as fast as it can go, or just a little less speedy than a zipping dragonfly. This led me to think that perhaps alligators are safer if encountered on land. That's a hard nope. While gators are only capable of a trotting gait, they are still able to get the same speed as crocodiles at a full gallop. No matter what the gait, just stay far, far away. And good luck sleeping tonight if you end up going to sciencealert.com to look at videos of these galloping crocodiles. Hey, Stephen King, call me. I have some ideas. The scene, 1871. Old tiny hats, horse-drawn carriages. Cars won't be invented for another 14 years. Oh, and wood. 
everything was built out of wood, which turns out is not the best material to have an entire city built out of during one of the worst droughts in American history. And not only that, but the streets and even sidewalks were lined with wood. Wood, wood, wood everywhere. And dry cow poop because animals pulled carts and carriages. And Chicago was also a town known for animal trading and slaughterhouses. Dried manure is actually a decent fuel source. And quite flammable. Everything built out of wood during one of America's worst droughts prior to the 2000s. And then add a barn with two tons of hay and two tons of coal for people no doubt preparing for a long, cold Chicago winter right around the corner. They didn't have central heating, so coal and flamey things were just how our ancestors survived. What we have here is a perfect storm for the Great Chicago Fire of 1871. I live in a city. Country kids understand what acres are, but city kids? We talk in blocks. So how big is one acre? One acre is 90% of an American football field, or... 16 tennis courts in a 4x4 formation. So when I say 194 acres in just one of Chicago's three divisions burned, that's 194 football fields or over 194,000 tennis courts in just one division. 460 acres in the South Division burned and left 21,000 people homeless. And Chicago's North Division was the worst hit. 1,470 acres were burned. 13,000 buildings were destroyed. When our city has one triple-decker go up in flames, it is a tragedy. In total, a third of the city of Chicago ended up without shelter and homeless. 300 people lost their lives. And the guys at the Stuff You Should Know podcast did an entire episode on this topic, and they suggested to go to Google Maps and search for the Great Chicago Fire in Maps. This shows you just how great and how large this fire was. And Chicago wasn't the only city to burn that day. There were several massive fires in the area, including Illinois, Michigan, and Wisconsin. Oh, and Ontario, Canada. Chicago had a fire the day before that firefighters fought overnight and into the morning of the fateful fire. So the fire teams were already exhausted, hadn't eaten or slept, and then this fire and the rumors started to spread. So why are we talking about this on an animal podcast? Now, some of you might have heard the story that Mrs. O'Leary's cow started the fire in Chicago. The story goes that Daisy, Madeline, or Gwendolyn depending on the tale, knocked over a lantern while Mrs. O'Leary was milking her. The fire started in the barn and the fire spread, thanks in part to the city's dry conditions, wood everything, including the streets, and dried cow poop, which exacerbated the fire. Fire trucks and air support teams, as we know them today, did not exist. In addition, there were strong winds that fed the other fires through the area too, and since the fire burned so quickly and the water pumping systems went down, destroyed any chance of getting this fire put out early on and it only added to the devastation. There seems to be little debate as to where the fire started. It started near or in the O'Leary's barn. But that long-told story, the story of the cow, was completely fabricated, made up, fake news. The only thing that spread faster than the fire were the rumors that started before the blaze was even out. Mrs. O'Leary was an Irish immigrant, an anti-Irish sentiment was at an all-time high in the 1800s. Additionally, she was a proud Catholic, and that was also an easy target at the time. 
Some of this might sound familiar in today's political climate, the more things change. We know for sure they did not have gender reveal parties, so that wasn't it. And we also know that it wasn't the cow knocking over the lantern, as reporter Michael Ahern was the reporter to first put that on the front page. But over a decade later, Ahern came clean, saying that he made the story up, but the cow stuck. And Mrs. O'Leary died a few years after the fire in 1895 of acute pneumonia and of a broken heart. She spent the rest of her days defending herself, her beloved Daisy, Madeline, or Gwendolyn, depending on the tale, and the weight of a city's grief lay unasked and undeserved on her shoulders. Can you even imagine 300 dead and a third of your city burned to the ground and everyone blamed you because you were an innocent, easy target? So if it wasn't Daisy or Madeline or Gwendolyn, depending on the tale, who was it that caused the fire? It was likely children gambling in the barn or a man named Daniel Pegleg Sullivan who liked to visit his mom's cow at night. I'm not going to ask any more questions about that. That cow was housed in the same barn as the O'Leary's cow. But if it wasn't them, it would have been someone else. In addition to the wood, the cold, the hay, the drought, the wind, there was already fires the day before in Chicago and the fire department was exhausted. And with the dry conditions, fires existing everywhere else in the Midwest and in Canada, a single spark was waiting to ignite the tired, dry city. An ember from a cigarette, a spark from a chimney... It would not have taken much, and it would have happened somewhere else in the city if it weren't for the O'Leary's barn that night. The irony is that the O'Leary's house did not burn. So how did this cow, a cow who didn't even start this fire, become infamous and synonymous with the destruction of an American city? Well, the news of a city falling due to a frisky heifer continued to spread, no doubt in part to the devastation. But the cause of the fire erroneously pointing to a milking cow? It is silly, right? It's unbelievable, but in part because of the attention the framed bovine brought to the story, city governments immediately improved building codes to stop the rapid spread of future fires. And they got rid of the whole let's make streets out of wood thing, which was a great idea. And other governments got involved too. London proposed an English book donation sending 8,000 books and money, and with it, Chicago was able to establish a free public library. And while that might not seem like such a big deal, it was. Prior to this, you had to pay a membership fee to use the library. So that's how a framed cow inspired one of the biggest public library systems in the United States. And just a funny, perhaps not well thought out epilogue to this tale. In 2014, the city of Chicago and Red Moon Theater partnered to create a great Chicago fire festival. Ironically, the event suffered from technical difficulties as replicas from the 1871 houses on floating barges in the Chicago River failed to ignite properly due to electrical problems, of which they didn't have in 1871, and heavy rain, which they also didn't have in 1871. Admittedly, I think this is probably for the best. What do you do when you are a goat and you're hungry? Anything you dang well want, including breaking into a police cruiser, eating official paperwork, and headbutting the officer who's trying to get into her cruiser, knocking her to the ground, and then using the distraction to make your getaway. Lucky for her, she was completely unharmed, except for her pride. Lucky for her chief, there was a body camera when she had to explain, yeah, chief? 
No, no, there was a goat. Stop laughing. No, no, I'm serious. No, he ate the civil papers. And lucky for us, you can see this footage online. So thanks for joining me today on Bewilder Beasts. If there are topics that you would be interested in hearing about on this podcast, or if you know of any historical animals who change the world, animals who help humans, or wacky animals in the news, please send them in to bewilderbeastspod at gmail.com, bewilderbeastspod on Facebook and Twitter, and bewilderbeasts on Instagram. I'm Melissa McHugh McGrath with Mutt Stuff Media. Now go get curious. got today's information from sciencealert.com, HuffPost, ABC News, Smithsonian Mag, Britannica.com, GreatChicagoFire.com, which is copyrighted by Northwestern University and the Chicago Historical Society, and two other podcasts you really need to download and listen to if you already don't. Stuff You Should Know, the episode on the Great Chicago Fire, and Stuff You Missed in History Class on the same topic. Links are in the description of today's episodes. Intro music is Tiptoe Out the Back by Dan Leibowitz, and interstitial music is by MK2. Don't forget to like, subscribe, review, and share with your curious friends. You know, all those things every other podcast tells you to do, too. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to a podcast of the Podfix Network. Discover more audible gems like this at podfixnetwork.com. Make sure to catch up-to-the-minute network shenanigans by following at podfix on Twitter, official underscore podfix on Instagram, at podfixnetwork on Facebook. And make sure to subscribe to Podfix Presents wherever you choose to find podcasts. The Podfix Network, artist owned and loved.